I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman. I am here with my dog's uncle, amongst other things. His name is Jason Diamond. He's a writer and editor living in Brooklyn. His first book was Searching for John Hughes, and his latest is called The Sprawl, Reconsidering the Weird American Suburbs. Hi, Jason. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's a nice day. Not too, not as hot as it's been. Yeah. There's so many other things I could be complaining about, so I'm just like picking <laughs> on the weather as much as possible. There you go. Um, Jason, you're sort of from Chicago, like I am sort of from New York. Right. Which is to say, not really. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me, tell me about writing about where you're actually from. Um, Because I feel like I've had, I've had so many mixed emotions reading your book about the suburbs and feeling like I was over them and mad at them and was disgusted by them. And then now I have this great nostalgia. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that works. I mean, and I also kind of find that, and you know, and I I feel like there's, I don't want to have too much insider baseball since we know each other, but uh, we both, you know that I know a lot of Jersey people and I'm very fond of Jersey Mm -hmm. people. so I gave a few people from New Jersey the book and they've all kind of had the same reaction, which I thought was really kind of on point because I think that's, that's the most New Jersey thing is to have that sort of, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they're all living in New York or LA now. So they definitely like got away from New Jersey, but um, I'm always kind of, I always kind of appreciate that. And you, um, you know, you talk about Bruce Springsteen in, in the book. And of course, what I always say is I'm from the area where, he sang about leaving one day, right. but, but it turns out that he is one of Asbury Park's biggest um, 
philanthropists and supporters. So I, I guess it works for him too. Yeah, and he still lives in Jersey. He, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, I when I was a kid, you know, I hated the suburbs. I think that's just how we all feel. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really know anybody who's like, you know, maybe they had maybe they had a normal childhood, which I know nothing about. But um, there are people who I've never met anybody who said I really love the suburb I grew up in. You know, it's always I grew up in Chicago, even though I lived all down <laughs> the North Shore, and I lived in you know, I mean, New Jersey. People just say New Jersey. I think I don't think <laughs> yeah. I, I could be wrong, but I don't. I think unless you meet somebody from New Jersey and. Then it turns into what exit you guys are. Yeah. And, and whether Central Jersey exists, apparently, is a... Uh, <laughs> is that a thing? I didn't, yeah. That's didn't. a thing. Oh. But, um, but I feel like, especially now, during the pandemic, yeah, I am, I am nostalgic for things like lawns <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like sidewalks and just things that I never thought would be that important to me. Yeah, I mean, there is something quaint about it, you know, and um, just the way things have been going for the last few months, uh, for those of us who haven't left the cities, um, I think that pull is probably even stronger. Yeah. Um, you know, Emily, and my wife and I have been talking about where we want to go when we eventually leave New York for yeah. vacation. And I'm like, let's just go to your parents' house in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I just, I, I don't want to think too much about it. And, um, you know, I've been really kind of, uh, helping a lot of people. This, this was kind of an unexpected thing, but I feel like I've been helping a lot of people along in their, like kind of like a spirit guide. <laughs> like I haven't lived in the suburbs since I was basically 17. Um, and so having people kind of ask me advice on like living in the suburbs has been kind of funny. That's so you're now a suburban expert. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think anybody who grows up in the suburbs and comes of age in there in their own way is an expert at the suburbs. Yeah. And I mean and, and so one of the things that you note um often in the book is that well first there is this idea that the suburbs were the idea of the future. And uh, I loved all the references to Back to the Future in the book and you getting to see in the 50s how, how much hope everybody had mm -hmm. for the suburbs. Um, and then it's only in retrospect that we realize that so many suburbs were made for white people. Right. And that the fact that they were exclusionary is was a big selling point. Yeah, I mean, it's something that has kind of been written out of history <clears throat> in a lot of ways. I mean, it's 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 there and it's obvious. Um, I mean, and the demographics have been changing for a while. There are mm -hmm. outer suburbs. You know, it's not like people of color in the suburbs is a new thing. Um, but in the last couple of decades, they've definitely. I mean, literally, since the late 60s, Black people have finally been allowed to live in the suburbs. Right. So when you think about that, I mean, the late 60s, that's not a long time ago. No. Um, but for years, and you know, this, this ties back to the New Deal. I mean, redlining and handshake agreements and gentlemen's quote-unquote yeah. agreements were a, a very real thing 
in these communities and they kept, you know, black people, Jewish people, in a lot of cases, Catholics, um, immigrants, they kept all these people out and, um, you know, that sticks. Like people are going to remember that and they do to this day. And that's why, you know, it's like that Seinfeld episode where you can't get the smell out of the car and you can't figure out what it is. That's <laughs> sort of, I think, what people in the suburbs haven't really, they haven't been able to figure out what that smell is. And it's, it it's, lasts. It's rotting from underneath. Yeah. Hi, it's Maris. And I'm so happy to let you know that Mindy Kaling has a new essay collection called Nothing Like I Imagined. The best-selling actress, author, and comedian works overtime to describe with her typical charm and insight her latest life chapter, balancing the demands of her evolving career with the demands of new motherhood. In these six hilarious short audio stories, she writes about how she juggles life as a new mom, an actress, and a Hollywood power bruncher. Written and narrated by Mindy, this is the perfect collection to listen to on the go. It's available in audio and ebook format. Prime members can listen and read it for free. And you can download it today at amazon.com slash Mindy Stories. That's amazon.com slash Mindy Stories. We are also, especially those of us from the suburbs, are used to all of the stereotypes of the suburbs, that it's a a wasteland, that it's a conformist space, that it's boring. Um, but but tell me about rediscovering the uh, cooler, weirder parts. I mean, part of me knew they were always there because, yeah. you know, I, I was, and I, I would have to say, I, I always try to like break down like why I'm the way I am. I don't know <laughs> why does this in a way, but I'm especially neurotic about it, but I always try to wonder like how much of my curious nature is just my like Jewish neuroses and you know, it's just like that no. trying to have to learn everything you can, or if it's, you know, really more of a product of the fact that I was super bored as a kid and you know, I had to make my own fun and I had to, I had to read every single book I could find and I had to read everything, you know, I had to entertain myself all the time. And <laughs> um, as much as easy as it is, as it is to say that these places are cultural wastelands, the fact that people like us or people like all the people I write about in the book, mm -hmm. that they come out of these places, I think says something. And I think the suburbs do a lot of wrong and like, you know, that, from just the way they're built to the way they're run. But I also really believe that there is something right to a certain extent, like it's that balance of um, nature and, and, and urban that the suburbs are sort of in the middle of. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think that the idea wasn't really thought through and is very unsustainable. What's, what's the difference, Jason, between um the idea of the suburbs and the sprawl aside from of course the arcade fire song well the suburbs i mean are i mean by by default the suburbs are technically like what's outside of the city but that has you know what's outside of the city has definitely changed in the last 40 50 60 years <clears throat> like outside of the city meant 10 20 miles outside of the city now 
you know, my frame of reference is always going to be Chicago, but you drive an hour and a half north uh, to 15 minutes south of the border of Wisconsin, and you're still technically in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. You're right near Chicago. Um, so the suburbs, it's, 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 it's a really, it's, it's becoming even more difficult to define what they are besides being outside of the city. But the sprawl to me um, is, it's, it's, I got pretty philosophical about it the more I kind of really started digging down into it. Um, it was really influenced by um, the William Gibson novels mm-hmm. that I was reading, but the sprawl is just, it's the same thing. It's the miles and miles of car dealerships and chilies and just stuff that looks the same, things we don't necessarily need. Um, it's clutter. It's, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm a, I'm a hardcore minimalist or anything because I'm definitely not, but <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's the cluttering of, of, of our planet, of all these things we just don't need. Um, and you know, I love going to Chili's. Don't get me wrong. I'm, yeah. I, I will sneak out of my in-laws house to go to a Chili's any chance I get to go eat, uh, some garbage Chili's. Um, I don't know what I eat there, but. I like a Mexican spring roll myself. I was going to say I like the Bloomin' Nacho, but I think that's another place. <laughs> Bloomin', the Bloomin' Onion, sorry. Oh, that's uh, Outback, right? Yeah, no, I think they had to take it off the menu, though, because it was 8 billion calories. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I've tried to ma- I think I was going to try to make one at home recently. But, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, it's... The sprawl is something that doesn't really care about nature or humanity. It's just boring sameness um very corporate you know it's um exactly everything i i personally don't like and i think uh something that's spreading kind of like the blob mm-hmm. and it, I, you know i hadn't even realized until i read your book that if i look back on my childhood uh, yeah i had friends in the neighborhood and that was its own thing but like from the time I was a tween until I got my license, I was stuck. Yeah. And I I hadn't considered that car culture is so lonely and that part, that's probably why I like the city so much. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the, the suburbs are very isolating. Uh, I believe that if we, I think this, this is where I can get like very in my like ranty mode, but I won't. Um, but yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if we, I mean, this is just obvious. I just, we just need to cut dependency on cars. Um, mm-hmm. But when you go out to the suburbs, what, you know, you see is everybody is in their car. Uh, sidewalks are usually, if, if, if anything, there's, it's like, there, it's a very small sliver between and it's just not, it's just not feasible. And I don't know, I, I read a lot of psychological, I, I read a lot of like psychology, like, like reports on like the, the, the influence cars have on our minds and stuff like that. And uh, we get angry when we get behind the wheel. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very, like it's still something we're about a hundred years, give or take, used right. to as uh, 
a species. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's still something, you know, that it's something that we have not really figured out is not great for us. I mean, for a lot of reasons. And what's going to keep me out of suburbs for the forever is I'm always going to want to just walk out my house mm-hmm. and walk and go get a newspaper and walk and see 10 people. And I don't have to know any of those people, but the fact that I know they're there yeah. is enough. And cars, I like driving. You know, I, I love going for a, a ride once a week maybe, but just depending on cars so much is, um, it's isolated us as a culture in ways that I think are just really disturbing. This podcast is brought to you by Catapult, publishers of White Tears, Brown Scars, How White Feminism Betrays Women of Color by Ruby Hamad. Called Powerful and Provocative by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, White Tears, Brown Scars is an explosive book of history and cultural criticism. The book is inspired by Hamad's Viral Guardian article, How White Women Use Strategic Tears to Silence Women of Color, and argues that white feminism has been a weapon of white supremacy and patriarchy deployed against women of color. By exploring the history of slavery, colonialism, and more recent subjects like the Hunger Games and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Hamad shows how the division between innocent white women and racialized women of color was created and why this divide and why this division is crucial to confront. Tragedies such as the murders of unarmed black citizens by police in our current political climate make Hamad's voice even more important and necessary for anyone wishing to better understand what's happening in the United States today. For readers of How to Be an Anti-Racist, So You Want to Talk About Race and White Fragility, White Tears, Brown Scars is, in the words of Cosmopolitan, exactly the kind of book that every ally needs to read right now. One of the things that you talk about in the book a lot is, is the violence that, that is in the suburbs and that is not in the suburbs. So like, when I think of that kind of isolation, teenage isolation, think of Littleton, think of school shootings. Oh yeah. That's, that's such a huge part of it or might be. I I actually do. I mean, yeah, I absolutely think that. I mean, um, this is another thing that I've been grappling with ever since I started working on this is, you know, my own very conflicted views of America as the child of an immigrant and, you know, Jewish, et cetera, all that, uh, is that America lies to itself over and over and over again. I know it's like I'm making America seem like this person, uh, but in the grand scheme Mm -hmm. of things, the country of America Mm -hmm. collectively has just done a really bang up job of just lying to itself since the get go. Um, And a lot of that's, you know, I think that's why we're having, why we're seeing a lot of what we're seeing now is because I don't know if people are realizing it um, and they're admitting it to themselves more or it's the fact that people are actually able to voice their, uh, you know, their anger about this. Mm -hmm. Um, But America has lied to itself for 
the entire time it's been around for in one way or another in the suburbs kind of do a lovely job of capturing all that. You know, the idea of just kind of like hiding from your problems, running away from them, literally sweeping them under the rug. <laughs> and, you know, whether it be, you know, some Cheever kind of story about failing marriages and wasps in the suburbs drinking too much. Or, I mean, you know, my own experiences, I could write a whole other book on this. Um, the over-medication of kids in the, you know, mm. in America in general. But in the suburbs, when I was growing up, it was, you know, just give them all the pills you could give them to shut them up or calm them down. Um, and that's just, you know, Amer the suburbs really do kind of represent America in that, in that way. So. And then, of course, on the other side of things, there are all of the moral panics that especially as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, like the satanic panic, not a thing. The, the idea of stranger danger and being abducted by a man in a van. These were such, I, I would never have considered the myths as a kid. I mean, the Adam, Adam Walsh thing haunted me, you know, as a child. Because um, I think he was maybe a year older than me. Um, and I think that frightened the hell out of my parents. Um, you know, I, I distinctly remember some woman riding her bike up to my driveway when I was playing it when I was like six. And she walked up to me, she said, is your mom home? And I remember jumping up and be like, no, and running. <laughs> it turned out to be like her friend, but that has stuck with me my entire life. Like how ingrained in my psyche it is that Maybe to this day, I'm still afraid of strangers in a way I don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, I do think people in the city, people I know who grew up in New York or in a place where, like a city like this, I'll talk to anybody. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like the, the it's, it's funny, like the things we tell ourselves, it's not funny, but it is in a way, in retrospect, but it is the things we tell ourselves to sort of, I don't know, kind of come, keep, have some sense of comfort. Cause that's really what it is. It's a, yes. it's a way of making yourself think you're realizing that there's a real danger out there will help you be protected from it. As somebody who is constantly scared of bad things happening, this is something I've internalized a lot, but I do think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's again, running away from stuff just enough that when something real happens, we have to figure out a way to, uh, associate with it. So, um, one kid is kidnapped, and it's a tr like I, I'm I, the Adam Walsh. I swear, it's like think about it all the time, which is crazy. But yeah, um, it's terrible, and it was a just sad thing that happened. But there are so many children who are kidnapped, and terrible things happen, and they don't all get movies about it. And they're all not in the suburbs, and it just kind of perpetuates this idea. Um, you know, that I think is kind of dangerous because it's like, oh, this, this shouldn't happen in these places, but it mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. uh, don't let it happen again. It's like, okay, but first of all, it doesn't happen all the time, which thank right. God. But it also happens, it does happen in other places other than the suburbs. And uh, I think when we were growing up, um, it was sort of the height of, you know, because our parents were the generation, the first generation of, of suburban kids. 
Yes. I think they just were really filled with all these ideas that nothing bad should happen in the suburbs. And, and a, a weird transition, but maybe not. I feel like that's why we get such great art out of the suburbs, because anytime you show something that's not normal uh, or you show an outsider, um, it, it changes the entire perspective of the place. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I make, I, I feel like I made the joke in the book that I didn't want that one there's one part where I write about Lynchian stuff. And uh -huh, David Lynch. uh -huh. I joke in there that I'm like, I don't want to write another David Lynch essay because yes. every other fanboy has had their, their <laughs> I've really, I really find myself thinking about that part of the book specifically and that part of the, of his career when he does Blue Velvet because that scene, that first opening mm -hmm. scene is such a perfect and that was 87. So it's like, still our parents are the, are the adults. Yep. Um, it's sort of such a beautiful way of being like, um, you know, the, the, the suburban dream that the baby boomers were handed uh, is pretty dark and scary. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of realized that. And when you think about the time it came out, I mean, the mid eighties, all the movies about New York still had like, every street has a burning trash can in front of it and right. gangs of roving kids looking to stab you. But um, in the 80s, we also had, as you note in the book, suburban slasher films. Yeah. And, uh, well, Stephen King is, an, is, is another author that you talk about quite a lot. And, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why, like, what I found so interesting about, like, Shirley, like going back and reading all that Shirley Jackson stuff mm -hmm. and, and uh, reading, oh gosh, what's her name? The bio, she wrote the biography. Um, Ruth? Yes, Ruth Franklin. Franklin. And like thinking about like, wow, Shirley Jackson's like the original suburban writer. Like mm. when you think about it. And I was really like, wow, she was really ahead of, of the curve on all this. She really kind of, uh, you know, before Freddy Krueger and before Michael Myers, she kind of tapped into that a couple decades before, but, um, you know, the slasher films, I think, I think it's going to be funny in like 30 years when we're going, you know, we're walking past whatever the, the equivalent of like, um, some indie film places, like mm -hmm. where you put a movie into your head and you sit and watch it with 20 people. Um, but they're gonna, I, I really think they're going to have, because things take time to sort of become important to the culture. And I think those slasher movies are going to really speak more about the time mm -hmm. kind of regarded, you know, in a certain way, because rewatching that first nightmare on Elm street and obviously the first Halloween's a classic, but, uh, and a lot of the, the, the not so great eighties horror films. Yes. We're really tapping into something that I, I really hadn't thought of when I was a kid. What's that? Just the fears underneath the things. I mean, yes. Freddy Krueger is literally a guy everybody burned, a child molester that everybody burned to death. <laughs> and they just were like, okay, it's done. We don't have to, don't have to worry about this. Don't have to worry about anything. And yeah, and it's, it's such a, it's such a clear thing now that 
of course, the, the, the violence that one most encounters in, in the suburbs is within one's own home. That's, that's, there, there are all of these phantoms and scary boys, and, but yeah, it's no. your family. That... The family is a terrifying thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of scary in the suburbs. And I think in the last, you know, since I was in high school, since Columbine, I think you've really seen, I mean, there were school shootings before that. There was actually one not too far from where I grew up when I was really little um, that I was reading about. But, um, you know, you just, you, you put water, you put like a kettle on top of fire and the water is going to boil. Yeah. You know, this, it's just, it's just science. I mean, these things are going to spill over and um, they have been. And yeah, it's very strange to me that we've kind of ignored it for so long, but. Yeah. And, it, and it's one of my favorite parts of the book is when you talk about the Shirley Jacksons and of course, like, and the John Cheevers and Revolutionary Road, but then um, suburban literature of the very recent has a whole different tone to it. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk about authors like Celeste Ng and Rakesh Satyal, Jenny Han, Morgan Parker. Tell me more about that. I mean, that, you know, I didn't want to be, uh, a white person being like, there are all these people of color writing about the suburbs now. Um, so I really, you know, I, 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 I'm an obsessive reader and I was trying to tie it back to, I think the thing that, the thing that's really important to me is that I recognize that while yes, you know, I'm always gonna go to bat for the old Jewish men of the, mid <laughs> the Saul Bellows and the Philip Roths, et cetera. Um, and also the comedy, like the old Jewish comedians. But the reason is because I understand that those people did what they did and they worked when they worked because um, A, Jewish culture had been basically almost totally destroyed. Um, and American Jewish culture hadn't even really been established as its own thing yet. And... Um, the other thing being, it, it was, it was, an ex, it was trying to, it was acceptance. It was our, my, you know, our people, uh, mm -hmm. by the way, is part of the Jewish conspiracy. <laughs> you couldn't tell. Um, it, it was part of, it was part of Jews being like, we're here. This is where we live. And we are going to contribute to the culture the same way, you know, all of these white Christian people do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's something to me when I think about that and the fact that I have been able to have any sort of voice or career because of that is really important. And I think, well, I, I wouldn't say Rakesh or any of the writers I, I mentioned, uh, would consider themselves suburban writers in any way. No. I think there is something to be said about the fact that, um, people who's, who might have come from, or their families might have come from India, or from Asia, or from South America, Central America, that they're writing suburban experiences, I think that speaks to something. 
Yeah, um, and that those are <laughs> those are as much of America as the yeah all the other things. Yeah, because you know the, everything. America is this great melting pot, but when we think of the melting pot, it's usually the cities. It's usually mm. uh, I can I live right on the border of Crown Heights. I can walk a block, you know, and it's largely Jamaican, and then I can walk a few more blocks, and it's Hasidic Jews, and you know, and that's, that's almost every neighborhood, but we don't really think of the suburbs as a melting pot, but I, I would like to, I would like to see that happen more. Um, I think Rather than be, just a place where you can go to the melting pot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just talk at it. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I think that's really important. And I mean, I'm, I always say the greatest thing I was blessed with was the fact that my, you know, I, I, the people I grew up around, my, my family, around Holocaust survivors, around um, LGBTQ people, uh, that's, you know, I, 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 I grew up around a lot of people that I think when I was a kid, other Americans didn't have the access to. But I also, my formative years were spent in this very diverse neighborhood. Um, and it, I think that really helped. Yeah. And I was just like, hey, my friend over here is his family's from Korea. This friend is from Greece. Uh, this friend is Mexican, and we're all we're all just hanging out. There's, there's nothing, you know. And you, you, you know, you don't do a ton of prescriptive writing in this book, but you do. Uh, and I don't think this is a spoiler. Um, you do mention that community would be the way to start taking back the suburbs i don't know what fixing uh, you tell me i mean i think we're gonna see a lot of it in this election um we're gonna see what the last four years how the ch suburbs have changed in just four years uh, which is really i don't like to be like oh this is gonna be so interesting when it comes to politics <laughs> but um rebecca is it traster or trust trust yeah she did this piece, I remember, and I wrote about it in the book for the cut, mm -hmm. where she was like talking to suburban women just outside of Atlanta. And I found that fascinating. Like, I gotta find more of this. And, you know, when I was a kid, if you were politically active in the suburbs, it just kind of made you a weirdo. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember there was like the hippie family. And I think in retrospect, they were just, kind of like they had enough money that they could sort of be like, oh, Reagan sucks. <laughs> you know? um, but I, I really think that the, the, the people in the suburbs have, they're, they're getting more active. I, I don't, I, I'm not one of those people who tries to kid himself into believing this stuff. Uh, I've seen it with my own two eyes. Uh, I travel to these places and, you know, I think, um, People in the suburbs just want, if there is one thing, I, they want just to kind of just not worry. That's why you move to those places. Cause like, I don't want to worry about, they don't want to worry about getting on the train and they don't want to worry about all this crazy stuff happening. And I think the last four years have really been like, oh, we have to worry about stuff. No, uh, none of us can just sit back and watch yeah. anymore. So that's, that's been an interesting thing to kind of see. And, um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's, that's really interesting. And I hope, I hope I'm right. 
Yeah, um, I hope you are too. Um, before I ask you for book recommendations, I also have to just shout out to the mall. Yeah. I, I'm glad that it's having a, a small renaissance according to your book. I didn't know that. Um, not because nobody can go to the mall. Well, right. Okay, right. Um, <laughs> but in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> All um, those years ago in 2019. Yes. Um, I, I, you know, I worked at the Gap. I. Uh, <laughs> what year? What do, do you mind telling me? What year? 1996. 96 was a good year for the Gap. Oh, I got a lot of good clothes with the employee discount. <laughs> I think the gap, like up until about 99, 89 to 99, that's like sweet spot. Yeah, very cool. I was very yeah. happy. Um, Jason, thank you. Now tell me about what you've been reading lately and what you want to shout out. Uh, is it okay if I mention books that aren't out yet? Because I think it'll be out probably. Um, yeah. Start reading Vesper Flights by Helen McDonald, mm. uh, which, I mean, she's, I love her. I'm really excited about this. She's, uh, H.S. for Hawk is a brilliant book. It made me cry. It made me, it did a lot, it did a lot of things. Uh, I was really happy about that one. Um, I've been, I went and picked up White Girls by Hilton Nalls again mm -hmm. because he's just kind of been on fire lately. Like, yes. I feel like every issue of the New Yorker, he's just got a new piece. And I'm like, I don't get you. You're so good at this. Um, like just on another level. I just, mm -hmm. there are very few people who I'll say that about, but Hilton Alls, um, Hilton Alls is definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, and then I, I picked up a book that I actually read for research for the book or a little bit before the book um called bowling alone by uh, oh yeah robert putnam because I, I just kind of was like thinking about him like what are we going to be like socially after all this um and, you know his book kind of like looks at like the the breakdown of like social clubs and bowling leagues and the pta and um it kind of goes back to your question about cars and how mm -hmm. we're kind of distancing ourselves more and more. And I just think about loneliness and um, just how we don't realize how lonely we make ourselves. Um, and that makes me very sad because as I'm talking to you over Zoom, um, I'm like, oh, I can't believe you're not, we're not just having this conversation face to face. Yeah. Um, and that makes me sad that, you know, I love people and I love, my, I mean, I'm glad I get to see my wife every day and we work very well in the same apartment together. Um, and we haven't killed each other after six months, or <laughs> almost six months. But, Congratulations to all of us. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.